بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد We're still in the dunya, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> the dunya section of the book, um, uh, but tonight we'll end inshallah, <coughs> where he talks about um, the, uh, a profitable transaction, profitable trade, and he says that, he says, that um, insan is always in the state of uh, trading, giving something and getting something in return. Now, either a person is giving hidayah and akhirah, guidance, hereafter, and getting what in return, misguidance and dunya, or, the, or vice versa. And he says since... Uh, Misguidance and dunya, really the Qur'an even kind of might refer to it as such that it is uh, it is uh, an illusion, sarab. Uh, we don't actually, I don't think we have a verse that refers to dunya as sarab. It talks about an aspect of dunya being sarab and being a mirage. Um, when it talks about the mountains, uh, it talks about how they will be unraveled and turned to pieces so it was all a mirage the Quran says so if the biggest most important most powerful part of this world which is mountains maybe you can say it represents strength and and, and, and something solid that will, can not be hurt in any way if that was a mir mir mirage then everything else of course will probably be a mirage too in this life anyway so he says that when you're giving hidayah and akhirah, what you're getting in return is really a mirage. It's not in the eyes and lens of God. It doesn't really exist as if. <coughs> doesn't really exist because on the day of judgment, it's not worth anything, right? If it's not worth anything, you gave something, you got something in return. Like Jack, poor Jack, what did he do? He gave his cow. He got a few beans in return, right? Those beans aren't worth anything in his mother's eyes, and so this person gave comes back. Did his mom even uh, honor those beans with even like looking at them and thinking about it a little bit? She got, took it, tossed it out because it had no value in her eyes, right? Here, on the Day of Judgment, brothers and sisters, if something really is a mirage, is an illusion as if, I don't want to sound like it doesn't really exist. No, we all really exist and this life really exists. But um, on the other side, things will be different. We thought it existed, existed. If it existed really, then it would have something on the other side as well of existence. But it doesn't. Misguidance, dalala, has no existence on that side. It is lack of existence. And so, if it has no value, no weight, no existence on the other side, what are you supposed to do to it? You toss it out just like Jack's mama. Tossed it out. The Quran has an interesting, I liked how Ayatollah Jawadi did this here. He says, you take, you give akhirah, and you get dunya in return, you get you give guidance and you get misguidance in return. The Quran says there are some who fala nuqimu lahum yawm al qiyamati wazna. 
on the day of judgment, there's no reason for us to even establish and set up any scales for them to weigh out their deeds. Because what do they come with? They came with misguidance. Misguidance, does it weigh anything? No. What do you do to it? You toss it out. And so he says, okay, so we're always in this trade, you know, and this is what these are the things that we're trading. So that's one point he says when he's talking about a profitable trade. We have to make sure that what we have is value, has value. Number two, when you give hidayah and you give guidance and in return you get misguidance. And of course this manifests for us right now in sin. And we're getting something in return, which is misguidance. All right, for me, misguidance was nothing. On the Day of Judgment, it doesn't have, it doesn't, you don't put up scales for nothing, right? But what about that, uh, that, that uh, the goods that I gave, which was Hidayah? Are they going to keep it at least? He brings another verse. He says, These people sold or bought misguidance for guidance and adab and punishment for forgiveness it says those people who got whatever in return got that hidayah from you they also discard it a person who buys from you your guidance and your akhirah and you give them your akhirah for that misguidance that they give you first of all you don't have anything that guidance that you gave them now, are they going to benefit from it at least? They take it. They threw it behind their backs. The book of God, they threw it behind their backs. So nothingness upon nothingness. You were the, you were the reason for even guidance being trampled. So like this person has nothing left. If a person wants to have a profitable life, this is what they have to stay away from. That's one. So the trade, the transaction, if you want it to be successful, these are things to watch out for, he says. And then in addition to that, if I want to have tranquility in life, we were talking about dunya, right? I'm trying to figure out this dunya. The condition for tranquility in this life. He says, we always want to be happy here, right? On, on, in this life that we have. And we say that it is not possible to always be happy. Why? Because Nahjul Balagha says, Darun bil bala'i mahfufa. This dunya, this life, is a life that is surrounded by hardship. We've talked about this before as well. You want to eat, you have to chew your food. Then you have to go to the bathroom. Then you get a stomachache, etc. So on and so on. So uh, you want to get that food first, you got to work. Now back in the day, you would shovel, now you type behind a desk. <laughs> At the end of the day, you got to do something, right? There's some people out there, they actually, someone was telling me this back, back home before I came here, they actually think their job is to steal. Like they think that this is a job, really. <laughs> so you had to steal it, whatever. You had to work for it, okay? The guy actually thought that he, this is a job. Like he said, look at these people. They all have, they, they buy something and then they sell it for more, right? If they're selling it for more, they're doing something wrong too. So I'm going to also go and take that from them. Like that was his way of justifying stealing. His job was stealing. Anyway. Um, someone was dealing with that guy, he was telling me, he was like, yeah, these people, some of them actually believe that this is a an occupation. Alright, anyway, so we always think to ourselves, he's saying, which is also interesting, he kind of broke that understanding for me as well, he says, we're after tranquility and happiness all the time, it's not going to happen, because this life, before it and after it, you got to work hard, 
or steal and to get something to eat and then even after you eat what happens all of that happens and so it's all hardship everything you think about is surrounded by hardship so we can't always be happy but he says the orafat say otherwise the mystics they believe otherwise how's that he says yes it's possible he says they say yes it's possible how how can i live in a dunya where i can always be uh comfortable and happy no the, the answer is like four words but it's like impossible for a person like me to achieve this but it says that to get attached to that which we know is not going to end in other words like change change your in farsi we say that which you have an inclination towards has to be changed that's what they do so i'm going to read a little bit off of this what he means exactly he's going to explain it he says we uh we get attached to a lot of things in our life we get inclination towards those things that we don't have and we get upset when we lose certain things why because our understanding our cognition is a flawed one and our choice our, our power of choice and to choose the right friends is weak right friends here friends in a general sense not friend like befriending people anything that i'm going to have a relationship with and so as a result we're always in pain we're always suffering right that which is enduring and will not perish has to be beloved to us that's it can we find anything here that is not going to ever perish that should be what we love and have an attachment towards anything else should not have any attachment that's why the quran says ala inna awliya allah la khawfun alayhim wa lahum yahzanun awliya allah don't have this problem why because who is their beloved of course it's allah and allah is not something that's gonna perish ever now he says this is the boundary of aql and jahl okay a person who reaches this point where they can identify that which they should get attached to because of it being enduring and not temporal yeah this is the boundary of aql and jahl if anyone ever gets attached to that which will perish that is jahl finished and that's where the land of jahl begins the more jahl, the more problems a person will have of jealousy, of, of stinginess, of fear, of grief, and all that kind of stuff. But if a person fixes their understanding, how does this get fixed? Of course, being a friend of the Qur'an fixes this to a good extent, in my opinion. This is what the Qur'an is always talking to us about. Okay. It says, If a person understands that they have not been created for dunya only, and others have a share in it, and they, they know that lots of these things are just a test for them. And every day, that w a little bit of that which of the dunya the person has will be reaching others in, a, in a after, after a time. This will prove to the person that, okay, the dunya is a temporal place. If dunya was not, it was something that we wouldn't lose, and it was like in our hands we couldn't lose, yes? If dunya was something, so pay attention to this wording, if Sunya was something that you can't lose, it wouldn't have it would have never reached us to begin with. Okay, it's a deep line. He says, if Dunya was something that you can't lose, it would have never reached us in the first place. And since it has reached us, it shows that it's gonna also leave us. This is very important. Yeah. 
if you didn't have something before and then it's added to you, it shows it's not part of you. And that's why it will leave you something. That's how you prove God's existence. You, what do you say? You say, life wasn't mine from the beginning because I wasn't always there. And so this life must have come from somewhere else. Where did that person get his life from? And it just infinitely regresses unless it stops with a wajibul wujud, someone that is God himself, who ha life is part of his essence, right? Here also, you're thinking to yourself, you're like, okay, this reached me. Was it with me before? No, that shows that it's not going to be there for a long time either. These kinds of reflections is what Quran asks us to do. This wording that he's using here, it's very nice wording. So isn't it better to just not get attached to it? And this is why awliya Allah are always comfortable. They've come to that understanding and they're aqil. And that's why jahil is always in azab, even if they don't know it. The least azab I would say in, fun, in, in, in pain and suffering is the fact that you have something but you know you're going to lose it. Even when you have it, the back of your mind you're thinking that I'm going to lose it. <clears throat> and this is why reciting Quran and reflecting on it is so important. It drives this point home, really. That's what it's all about. He adds one more problem to everything before we end. He says there's another problem here as well with dunya is that sometimes even when you decide to leave it, it doesn't leave you anymore if you've developed that like strong bond with it. Okay? We've already talked about what dunya means, right? Anything that takes you away from Allah or distracts you from Him is dunya. He says, it's, he, he likens it to uh, drug addiction. He says some people, they make that strong decision that they're gonna let, they're gonna let drugs go, right? What happens though is that the drugs don't let them go. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, and so he says in the dunya, when we're here, we develop that attachment too much. When you develop that attachment too much, then the time comes that you want to separate yourself from it, and that's death. So you die. And then once you die, he says, once we die, that's where the problems begin. Why? Because we have to, on one hand, let go of all you know, the stuff we had here, on one hand, all the pleasures we had here, but the relationship is still there. Okay? The love is still there, the beloved is not there anymore. This is azab. This is, this is, this is pain. This is suffering. Dunya ends. With it, uh, our life ends. With it, dunya ends. And our relationship, our connection with this dunya. But that was what this life was for. For me to get attached to things that I was supposed to get attached to. I didn't. What did I get attached to? I got attached to something else, whatever it is. Alright, well that thing isn't here anymore. But what did I take from this dunya? What I took from this dunya was a relationship with that thing. But that thing isn't here with me in the, in the, in the barzakh and in qiyamah. And so that is itself is a problem for this individual. He says, listen, that's, understand that if you're forced to leave that which you really love, someday it's not like it's going to be over you're going to forget it like you know relationships in relationships here they'll have that you know time period where they're upset that they lost somebody they broke up with somebody something like that their uh, uh, their halal relationship whatever it was and so they're they want to move on they want to get over it and after time time will heal them and they do get over it right that's not how akhirah works that's how barzakh works he says it's a very important point he says don't feel like okay i'll get over it you know no, 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 your attachment will still be there, but there's nothing you're attached to anymore. And so that itself is going to be killing you. After this, we're done with dunya and those different aspects of dunya. So what we covered so far was uh, ghafla, 
and being delusional in this sense that we talked about before about different things and then uh, self-centeredness and then about shaitan to an extent and then dunya then he moves on to actually certain things that we need to use and get the help of to now cleanse ourselves a little bit right to actually make progress towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the first one he, he, he starts with is, is tawbah now tawbah we all know what it is we all know the fiqhi uh, uh, approach to tawbah and what we're supposed to do for tawbah to uh, count as actual tawbah we might talk about it as we go on a little bit but here he has a more akhlaqi and slash irfani mystical approach as we move forward okay I'm breaking my rules I usually don't like to talk about these things but <laughs> uh, because I feel like when we talk about these things we might feel like oh we're there no we're not I'm not there uh, I'm not there so but anyway these are this motivation for us Anyway, he says, look, Tawbah, uh, not only when we sin and we disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not only is it a means of us going to the hellfire, but he says, let's fo take our focus from that aspect and focus on the akhlaqi slash irfani side of things when we sin. Yes, sinning will, can, not will, but can take someone to Jahannam. But for a person who is a salik, you know, jahannam and stuff like that isn't the point. The point is what? For, for a salik, for a spiritual wayfarer, everything is Allah, right? So if we're going to look at sin even in a bad way, we're going to kind of look at it in relation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, look, sin gets in the way of other good deeds. It doesn't let you do other good deeds. He actually points this out. As we go on, I'll have a hadith for you as well that uh, there are things that have a taqwini connection with other things, cause and effect connection and relationship with other things. Sin and khair have this con have a connection. There is a relationship between them. That sin doesn't allow more good to come out of you. It just doesn't, usually. Of course, there's always exceptions. There's always the mercy of God. And there's always Imam Hussein. Okay, there's a reason for a lot of things. But anyway, that's the default. That's the rule. He gives an example. He says, That a person will sin sometimes. Okay, so are they going to go to Jahannam? Are they going to be punished? Or will they deserve punishment? All that? Well, that's other stuff. Right now, we're looking at it from an Irfani perspective, from an Akhlaqi perspective. What does it have to do between me and God? Well, it won't let you do certain things that you would want to use to get closer to Allah. A person who sins sometimes will be deprived of Salat al-Layl. Um, for... Uh, this person who wanted to get up, they went to Imam Ali, they said, we can't get up. He said, sometimes this is the reason. Sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes this is the reason that you will be deprived of Salat al-Layl. A person will say, you know, I'll sin and I'll do Tawbah later. Well, Tawbah itself is probably a form of worship. And so you want to have the Tawfiq for that, 
Yes, you can't have this mindset of, you know, I always sin and I always, get, I always do tawbah. No, that's not how things work. You never know. That might deprive you of the chance to do tawbah. Yeah, so he says a person might sin and then they're deprived of Salat al-Layl. Like they might have done everything that they always do to be able to get up, but they just don't get up. Allah doesn't allow them apparently. asra. There is the bad deed, the guna, the sin, has a faster effect on the one who is committing it than a knife does in meat. When you're cutting meat with a sharp knife, it just slices through. It says this is what it is. It doesn't say that it has an effect, oh, it's going to get them to Jahannam sooner. Maybe they won't even get to Jahannam. Maybe they will repent from it. And uh, it will. they will compensate, make up for it. But, but, it might have this effect on this person. We don't know what the effects are. The Imam is just disclosing to us that sins have an effect on an individual. Sometimes their Iman gets weaker. Sometimes they're deprived of other things that they wanted to do that were you know, good things that they wanted to do and so on and so forth. I've given you the example, right? I've given you the example before. I think I did. Somewhere I did. Um, they would tell us, you want to wake up for Fajr? You want to wake up for Salat al-Layl in the Hawza? You, you know, the dorms are there. Remember I told you this, right? Take off your sandals when you're going to get to the, to the washrooms to make wudu because your walking might make noise and wake people up. Waking people up is not allowed in Islam when, they're, when it bothers them. Bothering a mu'min is not allowed. Don't do that because that might deprive you of, what's it called? Of Salat al-Layl, for example, the next day or something. Yeah. He says, yes, so the only way to fix this if a person has sinned is that they do good instead. But there's a condition for that. He says, look, people, the normal people out there, he says, when they like, you know, they're sinning and stuff, it's going to be hard to make it up in a way that it doesn't affect the other good deeds you want to do and depriving you of that. Um, but he says if there's a person that has worked on, on themselves to an extent, that their iman has gotten a little, you know, up there, not too much, but a little, but they've sinned, they made a mistake, they sinned, whatever. This person might be able to, through some good deeds, through istighfar, all these things, to, you know, get away from that effect that is going to happen probably no matter what. And so he gives example, another example. He says, he says every year Allah, in this hadith by our sixth imam, he says every year Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send enough rain for the people. But if the people of a land are sinners, this rain will be held back from them to an extent. And this shows that there's a connection between the metaphysical and the physical. And so we don't look at sin anymore as Oh, did it have an effect on others? Did it not? What's so wrong about doing this one night? One night's not a thousand nights. One day is not a thousand days. I'll do istighfar later. Yeah, from that perspective of evading and avoiding adab or jahannam, yes, it makes sense what you're saying. Allah, inshallah, is greater than that to take you to jahannam forever because of one thing you did wrong. But from this perspective, that I want to make some gains <clears throat> in this arena, no, it has a big effect. It has a big effect. And so the smallest sin won't matter anymore. The greatness of the one you've disobeyed will matter in your eyes. You get what I'm saying? And that's a hadith. Don't look at how small the sin is, look at how great the one you disobeyed is. 
Then he makes his way into Tawbah itself. The three types of Tawbah. Yeah. The first type I'll get to and then we'll end. Because there's two more types that he wants to get into. That's where I'm really breaking my rules. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about the one that is okay to talk about. <laughs> and that is At-Tawbah al am Yeah, the, great, the, the general Tawbah. The Tawbah and repentance for uh, the Awam. The lay people, the normal people out there, like me. Right? He's talking about me. He says, Tawbah has a meaning of returning. And returning has different examples. So when we say Tawbah, Tawbah is a word that can be used for different definitions. One of them is returning to Allah from, from, uh, from disobedience to obedience. Sometimes it's from Tark al-Awla to Awla. What you did wasn't a sin, but it could you could have done the better thing. So you you go back from the word from the lower to the better, or the less important to the more important. Sometimes tawbah, and this is the part where we break rules, is going from other than Allah back to Allah. What does that mean? We'll talk about it maybe next time. But for now, this first one. He says the first stage of tawbah, or the first let's say type, not stage, first type of tawbah is the Tawbah of the Awam. Awam means lay people. So what's opposite to lay people usually? Like clergy, scholars, you know, Mulana, that kind of thing. But he says here, he says, no, 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 no. That's not my definition of, uh, of, of uh, what is it? Awam. That's not my definition of lay people. He says, what is opposite to layman is not ulama, scholars. It's uqala. Okay, aqil. Just before this, a little bit before this, what do we say? We say, what's the boundary of between aqil and jahl? What is it? If you are attached to that which is not going to end, then you're aqil. If not, you're jahil. So here he makes it a point. He says it. He says, when I say awam, what I mean by awam is a person who disobeys Allah. It doesn't matter if he's an alim or not. If you're a scholar or not, it doesn't matter because you're alim. But what gets you to Jannah, gets you to Allah is what? Not alim necessary, but aqil. Yes, be smart. And this is why I like to use this wording sometimes, like let's have respect for ourselves. right? Because if I'm disobeying Allah while I know who Allah is, and I know what He can do and what He's made of, then it doesn't make sense for me to disobey Him willingly, knowingly, voluntarily. Lots of times we make mistakes, that's a different story. Um... But to continue on that path doesn't make sense. You're not aqil, he says. Yeah. So he says that it's a person who is ahl gunah, a person who commits sins, is ammi in my eyes, even if they've been to the hausa or university. Yeah. Then he makes some other points that we'll cover in, inshallah next session. Now, before I end, about uh, next session, when we're going to have it. Um, let me end our recording first walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin